Well, second service, how are we doing today? Everybody feeling good? That's what I'm talking about, man. We had a packed full first service, have a good second service. I'm ready to get after it today. Uh, I don't know if you were here last week, but I have to give some shout outs. Listen, last week was Mother's Day. We had a fantastic time. Uh, take a look at some of the pictures that are on the screen. I know we called all the ladies up front last week, and I just remember uh, seeing tears uh, in their eyes and running down their faces. They prayed uh, for their families, and they prayed for loved ones. And, and that's really what this entire series has been about. We, we've called men to be men, we've called women to be women, we've called kids to be kids, and we've, we've kind of had this statement running through our whole home series that a unified front is a strong front. Now today we're going to be talking about marriages, and we understand here at Multiply Church that a unified marriage is a strong marriage. Now, if you're not married in the room, I've, I've made kind of that prerequisite every week. If you're not married in the room, uh, listen, don't tune me out. This is a time for you to take notes. Maybe you're going to get married one day. Maybe you're going to get remarried one day. This is a time for you to lean in and take notes. Now, I want to start off by kind of going through this social study that was done by researchers some years ago, and they asked kids between the ages of 6 and 10 what they think marriage and love is all about. They asked a few questions, so I want to read a few of their questions and a few of their responses. The first question they asked was this, what exactly is marriage? And Eric, who is age six, says marriage is when you get to keep your girl and don't have to give her back to her parents. <laughs> Another question was, how does a person decide whom to marry? And Callie, age nine, says you flip a nickel, and heads means you stay with him, and tells means you just go to the next one. <laughs> Carolyn, age eight, said my mother says to look for a man who is kind. So that's what I'll do. I'll find someone who is kind of tall and kind of handsome. <laughs> what is the proper age to get married? Bert says, he's got it figured out. Bert said, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. <laughs> when is it okay to kiss someone? Alan, age 10, says you should never kiss a girl Unless you have enough bucks to buy her a big ring and her own VCR, because she'll want to watch her videos of her wedding day. <laughs> Another question, the great debate, is it better to be single or married? And Anita, age nine, says it's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean after them. <laughs> Why do the wives always laugh the hardest at that one? <laughs> ah, well, there you go. What is falling in love like? John, age nine, says it's like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. <laughs> this, one's, this one's good right here. What do most people do on a first date? Martin, age 10, on the first date, you just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go on a second date. <laughs> now, before we go any further, uh, let me get some prerequisites out of the way as, as we talk about this idea of marriage today. Now, we said at the beginning of this series that our starting point is the Bible. That The Bible is perfect. It's the inerrant word of God. We don't need to add anything to the Bible, and we don't need to take anything away from the Bible. That is always our starting point and the only thing that we need to lean on. So we believe, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that God created man and woman. We also believe, according to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that marriage is between one man and one woman. We believe, according to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, that God knew you in your mother's womb. 
And we believe according to Psalm chapter 139 verse 13 that God does not make mistakes and that he perfectly created every man to be a man and every woman to be a woman. God didn't make mistakes and, and sex changes are not biblical. God didn't make mistakes and marriages don't need to be redefined. Now for us here at this church, that's our starting point. To me, that's elementary. To me, we don't need to add anything to the Word of God, and we don't need to take anything away from the Word of God. Now, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, after 15 years, almost half of all marriages have ended mostly through divorce. Fewer than 5% of marriages last 50 years, and a much smaller number survive 60 years. So let me call out some people in the room for just a second. If you've been married over 30 years, can you raise your hand? Over 30 years. How many years we got? 44. 35. How many years we got? 35. That's what I'm talking. Anybody else over 30 years? We got to know how long y'all been married? 31. That's what I'm talking. Listen, for the younger marriages in the room, if you want to know how to have a long, successful marriage, turn off The Bachelor, turn off The Bachelorette, turn off Love is Blind. All right. How many of y'all watched every season? Don't judge me, all right? I've watched it too. But turn off, turn off the nonsense and take these couples out to, for dinner and, and ask them questions. What does a long, successful, healthy marriage look like? We'll make this declaration here today. We believe at Multiply Church that marriages will thrive here. We've made that statement every single week that men thrive here, women will thrive here, Kids will thrive here. This week, we're, we're proclaiming that marriages will thrive at Multiply Church. Marriages will not just survive here. They will thrive. W what does that mean? That means that you're not just roommates. All right, you're not just Uber drivers for the little people in your house. You're not just going to stay together for the sake of the kids. You're not just going to stay together until they get out of the house. No, marriages will thrive at Multiply Church. I'm not saying that marriages will be perfect, but I'm saying they need to be God-centered and God-honoring. Now, let me speak to a couple other groups in the room. Maybe you're a single person in the room, and you're asking yourself, Zach, how is this going to apply to my life? Now, as a single person in the room, maybe you've never been married, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed, and, and you want to be remarried or married again one day, if I could encourage you to stop focusing on finding the one and start focusing on becoming the one, I promise it'll save you a lot of heartache. Because early on in my marriage, man, I brought so much junk into my marriage. I didn't focus on becoming a good husband. I just stepped into a marriage and thought, I'll figure it out. I promise you, if you work on yourself and you work on becoming the one instead of just trying to find the one, then your marriage will have a higher success rate. As a single person who isn't married in the room, it, it, and maybe you don't even want to be married in the room in this season, can I remind you that one is a whole number? That one is not a fraction. Just because you're not married doesn't mean you're incomplete. Just because you're not married doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Just because that you're not married doesn't mean that you're unlovable. And I think that's the problem with a lot of single individuals walking around in our culture and society. Is that they think they're incomplete and they won't be complete until they find a person. You becoming complete 
isn't about finding a person. It's about finding Jesus. And until we can understand that, that's for everyone. That's not just for the single person or the married person in the room. The Bible says that Jesus never married and and that that was a great gift. So become the kind of person, if you're single, that prays for other marriages within our church family. Now, before we just jump in and read scripture, we have to have an understanding and this cultural backdrop that Paul was writing to in the book of Ephesians. If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you start reading in the book of Ephesians and then men and women want to battle each other. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let's look at this cultural backdrop. There are three main cultures that we are, we're going to look at. We're going to look at the Hebrew culture, the Greek culture, and the Roman culture. Now, in the Hebrew culture, at the time of Christ, a Jewish woman was not considered a person, but was actually considered a thing. A woman had no legal rights, and a wife could be dismissed at will. It said that a man could divorce his wife if he found something indecent about her, and all he had to do to divorce his wife was to give her a bill of divorcement. So ladies in the room, could you imagine your husband walking in and he hands you this slip of paper and he says, hey, this is your bill of divorcement. I'm out. Well, why are you out? I just found something indecent about you. Like that, that, that was what the culture was like. A man could walk in whenever he wanted to just to divorce his wife. Now that was the Hebrew culture. And that was supposed to be the standard of the day. Well, what about the Greek culture? In Greece, a married woman had no part in a man's life. In fact, men had one woman for pleasure, one woman for companionship, one woman to have kids with, and another woman to take care of household affairs. Now, that was the Roman culture. Or excuse me, that was the Greek culture. What about the Roman culture? In Rome, it wasn't any better. Many theologians have written that Rome was actually the sewer of the ancient world because anything went. You could do whatever you wanted to, however you wanted to, with whomever you wanted to at any time that you wanted to. One poet wrote this. He tells of a woman who had 10 husbands. Another Roman poet tells of a woman who had eight husbands in five years. Jerome, who was a Christian priest that many theologians would follow, tells of one Roman woman who was married to her 23rd husband, and he was on his 21st wife. Could you imagine living in that time frame? Could you imagine that culture? Could you imagine that society? And what Paul is writing to, he's saying this, he's calling men and women to a new fidelity, a new purity, and a new fellowship in married life. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, and he says this, we're going to change culture. We're not going to let culture define marriage and our family unit. And we're, not going, to, we're, going, to let, um, we're, we're going to let our marriages be a witness to culture and society. If that's not a word for the 21st century church, I don't know what is. Okay, uh, let's try that again. Let me reverse that. If, I do this every week. If you're new here, I'm sorry This is more of a dialogue, not a monologue. I'm not just a talking head up here. If you're not new here, get with the program, all right? Let's talk back and forth. Let's have some conversation. So let me try try this again. Like I didn't say anything that I just did, and let me say this one more time. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, we're going to change culture. We're not going to let culture define marriage or culture to define our family unit. 
we're going to let our marriages be a witness to society. If that's not a word for the 21st century church, I don't know what is. There we go. You're figuring it out. Now, can, can I tell you too, like while, while I preach on marriages, this has been one of the hardest sermons that I've written in a while because i uh, got to let you know something. Your pastor, and he argues with his wife. We argue. Thank you. I appreciate somebody saying, who said that? Thank you. I appreciate, that's the wisdom in the room right there. I, I said, what's that? She wins every time. No, I said, I said this in, in the first service. I, I made that statement in the first service, and nobody said anything, and, and people's eyes kind of like got scrunchy faces at the top. And I said, hey, y'all don't act like y'all don't argue. Don't act like you're mad at me. And somebody made the comment, oh, I'm not, I'm, we're not mad at you. And I said, well, this is what my five-year-old daughter says. My, I tell my daughter that I'm not mad at her, and my daughter looks at me and says, Daddy, your eyes are telling me you're mad at me. So I looked at the congregation. I said, your eyes are telling me that you're mad at me. So don't be mad. But we argue. We get in fights. I'm not proud. So this is one of the hardest sermons that I've written. And I told Manny this. I said, Manny, this is going to be a hard sermon for me to write because I'm literally in the middle of writing the sermon as I'm in the middle of an argument with my wife. Now I've got to preach on marriage. Now this was a couple weeks ago when I kind of started writing it. But it's like, man, do y'all ever feel that way? You're just, you're just in an argument with your spouse. So today what we want to do is I'm not going to step on your toes. I'm not going to try to get in your grits. Like I'm literally going to talk to, imagine me sitting in a chair and someone else is up here talking because I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to the room. So I have to ask a couple questions. And how do you, how do you build a great home? How do you build a great marriage? How do you build something substantial? How do you build something that will last? Well, any good builder will tell you to build something that's substantial or something that will last is you have to have good blueprints. And, and we understand this in following God that we have the ultimate blueprint in Scripture. I've made the statement. I'll make it again. We don't need to add anything to the Bible, and we don't need to take anything away from the Bible. Now, the problem is if we don't have blueprints, what do we do? We make it up as we go along. And that sounds really good, Alex, until it doesn't, and you miscut something. Or you misscrew something and you have to rip it out and you, wondering why, you wonder why it's not functioning. It's because there was no blueprints to follow. But, but I, think many, I think many marriages, especially Christ followers, they have the blueprints. They, they love Jesus. They love their spouse. And they know what the Bible says about being married. They just don't have the right tools. And, and that's the problem with a lot of Christian marriages is we don't have the right tools. We try to piece something together with duct tape the best we can. And if that doesn't work, we'll get some super glue just to see if it will work. But good architects know that you need good tools. So if you're building something, you have to have the right tools. So today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at the blueprints, and I'm going to try to give you a few tools that we can follow in our marriages. Again, my goal in this message is, is to give you those. I'm not preaching at you or stepping on your toes. We're just going to take a look at scripture. So let's go. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I got to pause right there and let you know that's the linchpin to everything that comes after. We have to submit ourselves to Christ. Verse 22, for wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is a savior of his body, the church, and as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should, should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, ladies, don't tune me out. Let me keep going. Verse 25, for husbands, 
This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. Verse 31. As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. So there's three things that I want to talk about today. We've gotten the prerequisites out of, out of the way. But in order for marriage, marriages to thrive here, the first thing that we have to understand is that both have to be submitted to Christ. Again, that's our linchpin, verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We seem to have a problem with the word submission in the American culture. Because we think that submission is a sign of weakness, but submission is actually a sign of strength. This is not a submission as in I give up or I quit. It's a submission that says I choose to place myself under the subject. Too many people are quitting their marriages instead of submitting to their marriages. We say things like, things don't go my way, I don't get how, what I want, how I want it, when I want it, or, or why I want it, and they're giving up on their marriages. And then we hear comments like, they don't love me. They, they, they've changed. They don't treat me the way they used to. They don't communicate the way they used to. The problem with all of those statements is that they're inward facing. It's like, they don't love me for me. Well, have you focused on yourself? Now, I'm, I'm not saying there's not different nuances to every situation, but we have to realize that our first submission should be to Christ. So if you ever come to me and you tell me you have marriage problems, fellas, and we get in a conversation, my wife just this, my wife just that, I'm going to simply look at you and go, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus? Well, no, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about my relationship with my wife. Well, how, how's your relationship with Jesus? Because that's the starting point. If I read verse 21, I have to realize and recognize that I'm called to submit to Christ. And if I'm not submitting to Christ, if I don't have a relationship with Christ, then my relationship with my spouse will never be right. If I'm trying to fix everything with my spouse, but I'm not in tune with my relationship with God, then the relationship with my spouse will never be fixed. If I could encourage you with anything today, your relationship with your spouse is always secondary to your relationship with Jesus. What we've done is we've put marriage on this pedestal as if it's higher than God. We're called to submit to God, then to our marriage. So what does your relationship with Jesus look like? What does your quiet time look like? Zach, what's quiet time? What, what, is, what is your conversation with God look like? What does your prayer time look like? What does your reading the Bible look like? Listen, I'll always sit down and talk to you about your marriage, but, but if I talk to you about your marriage, then I have to go back to my starting point. My starting point is always Scripture. I don't need to take anything away from it. I don't need to add anything to it. I didn't come up with the blueprints. It's not my blueprints. I'm just following. I've been given a few tools, and I'm going to try to work this thing out the best that I can. Now, that doesn't mean that marriage is going to be perfect doesn't mean that marriage is going to be easy. We're going to all have seasons of ups and downs, but man, ask yourself that question. Where is my relationship with 
God. Because once we understand where that relationship is, then we can begin to move the scale on our personal relationships with our spouse. It's kind of like this triangle. You have husbands on one side, you have wives on the other. And as you move closer to Jesus, you'll naturally move closer to each other. Again, the best advice that I could give any relationship in the room is to make sure that your marriage is secondary to your relationship with Jesus. Now, it, I got to make this statement, and, and it's going to be a hard statement. It'll step on some people's toes, but it's what the Bible teaches, and it's our blueprint, so I, I'm going I'm to talk about it. If you're in the room, if you're going to do what married people do and live like married people live, then get married. Stop shacking up together. Don't, don't tell me that God brought someone special into your life and then dishonor him by not following his blueprint. Don't tell me that you've prayed so much for this person and then step outside of the confines and the blueprint of what God has given us. The second thing that we have to do is we have to both submit to one another. Verse 22 says, wives, submit to your husbands. And verse 25 says, husbands, submit to your wives. Do I have any office fans in the room? Like my, who, like my real office fans. Real office fans, like you can quote a lot of it. Okay, good. I thought I would get Andy and Dwight to help us this morning. So go ahead and play the video. You owe me. Can a guy just buy some bagels for his friends so they'll owe him a favor which he can use to get someone fired who stole a co-manager position from him anymore? Jeez. When did everyone get so cynical? Oh, Dwight, I have a little surprise for you. Let me guess, you ate the bagel I gave you and loved it. Yes! <laughs> and I wanted to return the favor. I was polishing my loafers and I happened to look over and noticed that your briefcase was a little worse for the wear. So, a little elbow grease and she's polished right up back to her former glory. Oh, Feel it against that. your cheek. I will. You give me a gift, bam. Thank you, Note. You invite me somewhere, pow, RSVP. You do me a favor, wham, favor returned. Do not test my politeness. Let me get that door fixed. There we go. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I got it for you. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Thanks. You know, here's a healthy fitness tip. If you clench your buttocks together while walking, you can really take the pressure off your knees. Is that right? Observe. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> right? That really works. Yeah, feel free to use that yeah. anytime. Okay. Hey, hold, hold on a second. Do not walk around with your jacket, uh, cattywampus. And that needs oh. to be straight as an arrow. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay. Thank you very much for that. You are okay. welcome. Have a seat. Allow uh, me. Have Thanks. a seat yourself. You know what? I am going to preemptively change the batteries in your wireless mouse. Not necessary. No, no, no. <laughs> you didn't have to do that. Andy is complicating things, but I'm not worried. This will only up my game. Church, that is not submission. Sometimes we act that way with our spouse. We just want to one-up them. We, we just want to get one over on them. Now, now, if I can tell you a secret, I need you to, I need you to lean in. Um, fellas, I need you to know husbands are not always right. Shocker. Not always right. I'll say this one quieter. Ladies, ladies, wives, you're not always right either. 
Let me tell you what happened first service. I said, I said, husbands, I said, husbands are not always right. And Ernie was sitting at the back with his wife and they've been married 30 some odd years, 33 years, I think, Ernie and Cynthia. And I said, men are not always right. And from the back, he goes, amen. And then, and then I said, I whispered, I said, ladies, you're not always right. Someone sitting right back there. I won't say his name, Jake Norris. Uh, he screamed, amen, when I said wives are not always right. And I said, well, whoever said that has been married under five years. And he goes, four. I said, Ernie, meet Jake. Jake, meet Ernie. Ernie, take Jake out back after service. <laughs> but like, fellas, we're not always right. Ladies, you're not always right. And sometimes, more often than not, it's hard for us to admit that we're wrong. And we hold the grudges. We do, we do a really good job at holding the grudges. You forget what you were fighting for, but you know you're angry. You forget what started the fight, but you're going to be angry. Now, let me ask us a few questions. What are some of the most common mistakes that many couples make? I think one of the first ones is this, reacting with emotion rather than responding with intentionality. We react with our emotion. We've had a bad day at work. We come into the house. Our spouse says something. We snap. And we react with emotion instead of out of intentionality. We also fail to communicate expectations clearly and respectfully. Key word, respectfully. Clearly doesn't mean loudly. Just because you say something loudly doesn't mean that it's clear. Definitely doesn't mean that it's respectful. Again, this isn't me sitting up here just talking to you. This is me sitting in the seat talking to myself. Y'all have been there. Y'all have gotten in those arguments. You just want to get the last word in. And this is what me and my wife do. I don't know if it, what it's like in your household, but we'll be in an argument. And then what you try to do is you just try to get in the last word, just to kind of get in the last jab. But the last word isn't always loud. It's often like when you're walking away. Like, why you got to be that way? I don't know, because I want to. And then, like, I'll, Jenna will go upstairs and be like, I'm going to win. And I can hear her go, no, you're not. Like, you know, like she just wants to get the last word. We, we, we fight to get the last word in. But we have to be clear and we have to be Respectful. Here's a big mistake that some couples make. They argue to win instead of working together to find a resolution. I'm going to say that again because somebody said amen. We argue to win instead of working together to find a resolution. And I've been there. I'm going to argue because I want to get my point across. I'm dying on this mountain. Zach, what are you arguing about? I don't know, but I'm going to win. That's right, win-win. As long as I keep talking, I'm going to win, right? No, it doesn't work that way. Hmm. Let's talk about this. Here's a big mistake that people make, not meeting each other's emotional, practical, and physical needs. Ladies, I, I got to be blunt with you. Your husband needs sex. It's how we're wired. We want to feel wanted. We want to feel pursued. Husbands, let me speak to you for a second. Stop being so selfish. It's not only about her meeting your physical needs, but you meeting her needs as well. And her physical needs might be different than sex. So to put it blunt, take your time and don't rush intimacy. It's not always about sex. It's about conversation. It's about connection. Intimacy is a stronger connection than sex. Verse 21, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another's physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Another question that I'll ask, what are some practical steps to shift the atmosphere in 
the home? What are some of those tools that we can add to the blueprints? What about this? Create new adventures together. Man, go on a date. And dates don't have to be elaborate or fancy. Go, go on a picnic. Have a movie night. Try new things together. Y'all know I got a, a PlayStation 5 a couple weeks ago when I graduated. I never really had a gaming system. Um, newsflash, I'm terrible at video games. Like, awful. Pat, are you in the room? I saw you earlier. Did you come to first service? You're over there. I text Pat, was it yesterday? It was last night, right? I'm like, this game's rigged. I was just mad I was losing all the time. Play people online. I'm like, why are they beating me 17 to 1? Like, I'm, I'm awful at this game. I'm so bad. Jen and I decided to try new things. We downloaded a free game. The free game was Mortal Kombat. We played three times. She beat me all three times. <laughs> it's horrible. But try, try new things together. What is it for you? What type of adventure, adventures do you need to go on? Spend quality time with one another. Actually have a conversation. Pro tip, uh, ladies, make sure that your husband knows that you're talking to him before you get mad at him for not listening to you. That's our relationship. I've got a one-track mind. If I'm doing something, I'm fully focused on it. Jenna will start talking to me. Next thing you know, we're in an argument. Why are we in an argument? Because you weren't listening to me. I'm sorry, babe. I didn't know you were talking to me. Any, anybody else there? Ladies, make sure your husbands are looking at you before you start talking to them. And really make sure they're looking at you and make sure like their eyes aren't glossed over. Like do a little finger thing in front of their eyes. Make sure they're following you. You know what I'm saying? But make sure you have their attention. But honestly, spend quality time together. If my wife wants to sit down and talk on the couch, I've got to do a better job at turning this stupid thing off, not answering an email, not answering a text message, not jumping on social media. I need to put it down, sit on the couch, and actually have a conversation with my wife. It goes both ways. Well, we can't just want our physical needs or our emotional needs or our spiritual needs filled up with not, with, not without pouring back into our wife. We have to fill their emotional bank by speaking their love language. A book came out several years ago by Gary Chapman called The Five Lo Love Languages. Some of you have read it. Some of you know it. What are the five love languages? Words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, quality time, and acts of service. Me, like most men in the room, man, I'm words of affirmation and physical touch. My wife tells me I look good. She gives me a hug. I'm on cloud nine. She gives me a kiss on the cheek. She gives me a kiss on the mouth. I'm, like, I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. Like, I'm going to have the best day of my life. Not the same for my wife. She's acts of service and quality time. I can give her a hug, give her a kiss, and tell her I love her, and she'll look at the sink and go, babe, there's still dishes in the sink. But if I wash the dishes, I start the dishwasher, I make dinner, I clean up, I put the kids to bed, watch out. That, that's her love language. Let me give you another philosophy about marriage. You can get married, just like buying a new car. You can buy a brand new car, best car you've ever had. You got to put gas in it. You got to change the brakes. You got to change the oil. You got to change the windshield wipers. What happens when you don't change the windshield wipers? They get squeaky. They get annoying. And it's just that sound that drives you crazy. <laughs> Fellas, don't tell me your wife is annoying you and drive you driving you crazy if you haven't done the normal maintenance on your marriage. You'll put gas in your car. You'll change the oil. You'll change the, when your brakes squeak. What do you do? You change them. Windshield wipers squeaking, driving you crazy. You change them. You do the maintenance on your car. Do the maintenance on your marriage. If something's broken, fix it. If something's not working the way it's supposed to. Then sit down and talk about it. 
the regular tune-ups. The third thing, last thing I'll kind of leave us with is this. Both are united into one. Verse 31 says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This, this verse points to the idea of being holistically one, being one in mind, being one in body, being one in soul, and being one in spirit. The enemy knows the power of unity. We've been saying it for the last six weeks. A unified front is a strong front. A unified marriage is a strong marriage. I, I made this statement first service, and I, I truly believe it. I, I believe that the enemy is not scared of your marriage if you're not unified. Why should he be? I mean, think about it. If there's not unity in your home, the enemy's not going to worry about you. If there's not unity in your home, he's going to let you two continue to argue and bicker. You're fighting each other. You're not fighting him. You're not advancing the kingdom. You're just fighting in your household. The enemy is not afraid of a couple that is not unified. Told you about me uh, doing the Ironman training and told you about me doing CrossFit and I love fitness. But what I realize is this, I can only do so much by myself. <clears throat> I can only do so much on my own. So when I'm doing my, my Ironman training, I'll be out on a run. If I'm running by myself, I often want to stop. If I'm swimming by myself, I want to stop. If I'm biking, it's good for a while and, and then I want to stop. But if Manny comes and gets in the pool with me, if, if we go on a run or you know, I've got somebody swimming with me, I'm like, no, I can, I can finish this workout. I can finish the task that's ahead of me. And that's kind of like marriage. But oftentimes, if we're not unified, we want to give up. If we don't have our partner beside us, we, we want to give up. I also believe this. I, I believe that we've missed the mark in our marriages with one simple component and it's this we've stopped praying over each other and I don't mean you praying for your spouse when you leave the house I mean you praying with them and for them when they can hear your voice because something changes when you pray for your spouse so something changes when they hear your voice so we make some declarations here at this church we say this all the time we're not going to talk about it. We're going to be about it. Problem is, we can come into a church. We can talk about a lot of things. But until we make them tangible, they don't change anything. So we're not going to talk about it. We're going to be about it. Another declaration that we make is this. We pray first. We're a church that believes in the power of prayer. So we're going to get a little uncomfortable. If your spouse is in the room or your significant other's in the room, I want you to put your arm around. I want you to hold hands. And in just a moment, I want you to begin to pray for your spouse. Hey, maybe you're dating and you're in the room. This is what I want you to do. Pray for, pray for your relationship. Pray for what the future might look like. Maybe you're a parent in the room and, and you're a single parent and you got your kids here. Hey, pray for their marriages. Pray for their future. Boy, I did that this morning. Piper came to church early with me today. She was sitting up here during our prayer time and I started praying for her future spouse and I almost felt like guilty praying. I'm like, no, why are you praying? She's not getting married. Why are you praying that? But it just, it just did something. It just did something inside of me. I promise you, 
that your marriage will begin to change if the Bible is your starting point and you begin to pray over your spouse. I don't know what season you're in right now. It could be the best season. It could be the worst season. But what would it look like if you invited Jesus into the middle of whatever season you find yourself in? So I'm going to turn the mic off because I'm going to practice what I preach. I'm going to step down and I'm going to pray with my wife. As they step into worship, fellas, start praying over your wife. Take about 15, 20 seconds and pray over them. Ladies, pray over your husband. Take about 15, 20 seconds and pray over them. Then I'll come back up and we'll close down the service. So let's practice what we preach. about 10 more seconds. Just pray over your spouse. I told you that doing some of my training, it's always easier to do it when people are are doing it with me. It doesn't matter if they're ahead of me or behind me in a workout. It just It's just the fact of them kind of being there with me. And that's how I want to approach my marriage. I'm, I'm thankful for a spouse and Jenna that's all in. Come hell or high water, she's all in. And we made the declaration when we got married, better or worse, sickness and in health and till death do us part. A couple months ago, uh, we got tattoos on our fingers. I just, I don't like wearing rings. And it's kind of been like a point of contention in our marriage. Why aren't you wearing a ring? I don't know. I'll, I'll wear it. I'll lose it. I'll take it off to work out. So we decided to get tattoos. And Jenna got Roman numerals for the, the year that we were married. 
and I got until death uh, on my ring finger. And it's just a reminder that and I'm all in. Regardless of what might happen, regardless of what my life might throw at us, I'm, I'm all in. So maybe you would make that declaration in your marriage today. Maybe you would make that declaration in your future marriage today. And if I could, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, we believe you are who you say you are. God, we believe that you truly are a way maker. God, that you are a miracle worker. Lord, I recognize that there might be marriages in this room that don't exemplify who you are. There might be relationships in this room that don't exemplify who you are or or follow your blueprint. And right now, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace and wisdom enough to follow that blueprint. That we would realize that your word is perfect. That we don't have to add anything to it. We don't have to take anything away from it. You've already given us the blueprint. You've already given us the tools to use. So in this moment, I bless the marriages in this house to keep God at the center. I bless the marriages in this house to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I bless the marriages in this house to be a witness to culture. I bless the marriages in this house to stand on the front lines. And I bless the marriages in this house to pray first. In Christ, it's in your name we pray. Everyone said amen.